I'm Austin Basis, and this is Actors Speak, where actors speak and I listen. Welcome back to part two of my interview with actress Eileen Gruba as we continue the conversation. Do you approach comedy or drama differently? Do you? Yeah. I feel like ultimately it's, it's a, again, adjusting the dial and raising the stakes or making it life or death because I generally feel it's funnier if it's more important. But you kind of have to know it's funny because there could be a scene that you get like we get uh, that are dummy sides or non kind of a non-specific scene. And you could make it a comedic scene, but like, I know I can make anything comedic and do shtick like from back in the day, but it, <laughs> or I can make it as real as possible. So do, how do you approach that stuff? Do you approach it? How do you approach it? How do you approach comedy and versus because, drama? It's funny because to answer, to respond to something you just said, um, even in all the rehearsals through the years of the various projects at the studio, which many of them are dramas, I would make jokes throughout them and be like, now can we do the same lines and make it a comedy? Um, because it's so much fun and you can, you can take anything and turn it into a comedy. Even my serial killer scene, I could turn that into a comedy. Um, so, so yes, you do have to know it's comedy. And I think where you're putting a lid on it and you're giving it this grave seriousness for the dramas, you're ripping the lid off for the comedy physically and in every other way, you know, and sometimes it feels over the top, but it's funny. Um, like ours, our, our little film we just did, it had a comedic twist to it. Um, we let it go because it was a comedic drama, but yeah. I don't know, something, there's a silliness that comes up in me too when it's a comedy that that shifts all the gears and it is in what you said in the knowing that it's a comedy and then not suppressing any of your instincts and yeah. the stakes of course are high and sometimes and the indulging in those emotions those high drama emotions feels more fun in a comedy <laughs> because you know the you know the harder you push the pedal down the funnier it's going to be yes um, exactly that and i mean you know like you could be you know, uh, let me just try to come up with an example. You could be in a scene where you're a mother in a supermarket and someone just took off with your kid in the, in, in the cart. And for a drama, you're just gonna be like panic and, 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 and race to get them. But I mean, a, a mother that's in a comedy might just like literally scream her bloody head off and, and, and throw such a temper tantrum that, you know, everyone comes running, you know, there's two, there's so many ways to look at it. And it always depends on the, the script and the, and the reality. And then of course, sometimes comedy is often having a line that's so serious to, to say, and yet you're like, well, whatever. And you say it, you know, like you flippantly say something like, you know, when I did five-year engagement um, and I'm trying to talk the girl into having her wedding and event on 9-11 because no one will book that day. And they let us kind of play with it 
and do a bunch of improvs while we were shooting, which was fantastic. And you uh, like the improvs? Do you like improv yeah, even when do. it's not comedy? Oh, I love it. I love improv. But in that moment, I said something that should have been such an awful thing to say, but I just said it like flippant, and then everybody just burst <laughs> out laughing. So it it worked, and it stayed in the director's cut of the film. So, um, but sometimes you can say something so serious, like you know. It could be a drama where you're saying, why don't we just kill them? And you mean it. Yeah. But yeah. it could be a comedy and you're like, oh, why don't we just kill them? Yeah. You know, like it's two totally yeah. different things, you know? Yeah. So that, uh, that cold case experience on set, was that, cause I like to think, you know, I, I could look back on certain memorable on set experience where like, I don't know if I ever had that moment where the whole crew cheered, but um, not all of us could be you. But um, is there is that the onset experience that you remember most, or is there something else that stands out as like the one you're gonna you're gonna look back on most fondly? You know, when you're an actress in her seventies or eighties, still working, um, obviously. There's one that stands out to me as the most a teachable moment from a superstar. And then there's another that stands out as a, a huge moment for me, for me, the actor in the life I've had. So I'll tell you the first one that was the most teachable moment for me as an actor. Mm-hmm. I auditioned for a movie where I would be playing opposite Brad Pitt and I was so excited. I was like, yay. <laughs> and then I never get into studio auditions. So I was like, wow, I, I love Brad Pitt. I met him in New York years ago and I just, I wanted to work with him again. So then like six months later, I get called that I've booked this movie but it's no longer a Brad Pitt movie. It's now a Russell Crowe movie. So I'm gonna be working directly with Russell Crowe and Jason Bateman. So I get on set and I'm not sure what to expect because I'm in awe of Russell Crowe. This is just not that long after Gladiator and all that. And I'm like, wow. And uh, he's he introduces himself and he's like, come sit with me. He like pats the chair next to me, come sit with me. And we sit and we talk and he's asking me all about my life, where I'm from, all this stuff. And I'm like, we're talking about Alaska where I was born and life, just things. And, and he was just so, engaging and so kind and I was like wow he, he really wants to talk you know it was just I felt so welcome and, and just hanging out with him and goofing off and then we get to the, the little rehearsal process and, and then the director yells action and I knew in that moment I knew what Russell Crowe was doing in that moment as soon as they yelled action he knew how to draw me in in seconds because he knew me. He was studying me that whole time. He had me blushing in seconds, which is what was called for in the scene. So much so that it threw me, it threw, I was like, it, he, he moved me in seconds. And I was like, wow, that's what he was doing. And then he was so much fun to work with. He actually had them. Uh, write in more and bring me back another day. Unfortunately for me, the scenes got cut from the movie, which later made sense because Robin Wright Penn is his love interest in it. And they, it just became, the scenes were, it just didn't work. 
we yeah. looked yeah. too similar. They did our hair and makeup too similar. At the time she had the hair just like mine the same and and uh, and then he's flirting with me. So it just didn't work for the movie. However, it worked for me as a very teachable moment, a big star who knew how to light up that screen. I was shocked at how fast he could another actor and pull them right into, into feeling on the screen with him. He, he, he blew me away. I'll never forget it. And it was such a joy working with him. I, I really had a blast. The other event that I'll never forget was a moment where I where I felt like, okay, Eileen, this career is going to pay off. We're getting there. We are getting there. And that was when I booked a movie in New Orleans and I got to play opposite someone I had watched every movie she ever did multiple times. I was in all of her work and that was Jessica Lange. I had watched Blue Sky 10 times. I could probably go play the movie tomorrow if I had to, I know it that well. And her Francis, Francis movie and all, the riveting work she did in her, in her early years, I had watched every bit of it. And I always looked up to her and her work. And I was working with her and Shirley MacLaine and both of them, I'm walking onto a set, I'm gonna be in scenes with these women. I was just like, wow, I am working with the women I looked up to. And, and that's when I felt like we're getting there. And it was really fun to sit and have conversations with them and be engaged and, be, and, and even be able to tell Jessica Lang, you know, how I had felt about her work and grew up watching her work. And it was just, just something I'll never forget. Yeah, I think it's amazing when we, because we work in, in an industry that we are able to appreciate the industry as, as uh, viewers and audience members, but then as being a part of it. So there's this weird line that gets constantly shifted between, you know, uh, appreciating actors like Al Pacino or you know, Shirley MacLaine in terms of endearment. I mean, Shirley MacLaine in the 80s, if you watch her, you don't see any work like that now where people are just, there is just such a life and a spontaneity to her work, you know, especially in terms mm -hmm. of endearment. But, terms of endearment was one of my favorite movies. It kills me every time I watch it. Yeah, she is just, you know, um, but to, to then have worked our, our whole, early lives to get to that point and then be at on a stage or a set with one of those people and then be a contemporary or like a colleague of theirs while you know doing your own work and, and trying to like balance this inner child or inner appreciation of their work with what you have to do as the character i think in in a in a trained actor you're able to use that energy for good in, 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 in your work. Um, while if I maybe earlier in my career had worked with certain people, I may have let it get away from me um, and not had to kind of like, you know, rein it in. So for those experiences, and especially for the one with Russell Crowe, because I find that I've heard so many stories about actors trying to get performances out of other actors and in a sense, sometimes that seems to me as a little uh, presumptive 
in a sense that they don't think you're going to be able to blush on command and do your work on your side. But I do agree that in situations where you're working with people and you're having these personal connections, that an outside experience, like 20 minutes of conversation before you have the scene, will benefit the scene and the interaction between you two, because that veneer of strangers is gone, even though you've only known each other 20 minutes. So do you feel like chemistry is basically what I'm talking about? Do you feel that that is something that can be engineered, like in the case well, of Russell Crowe, or is it just like a magical thing that we can't put our you know, fingers on? I think it's absolutely a part of our craft. And I don't find it presumptuous at all. What I found is that he knew what he had to do to affect the other actor. And that's his job. It wasn't because he didn't think I could pull it. It wasn't my job to pull it. It was his job to make me blush. You know, when you go hit on a girl in a cafe, it's not her job to, to make you affect her. It's her, her job to take in what's going on and respond. You know, so um, it's your job as the guy who's asking out the girl in the cafe to get her to say yes, get her to say yes, whatever that takes. And what Russell Crowe needed to do in that scene was get me to fall for his charms so that I would sneak him through the restaurant and do what he needed me to do. So um, he was just doing his job. And I believe that if you're a great actor, you, your focus is completely on the other actor. It's not on yourself, it's on the other actor. And what do I need out of that person? And that's where the most brilliant performances come from. When I worked with Shirley MacLaine, she did a very similar thing. She came up and she said, young lady, come sit with me. Same as Russell Crowe did. She wanted to know all about me. She wanted to know why I was limping. She wanted to know all about my life. So I think the, the, the strongest actors know they have to find their way into you if they're going to get what they need out of you. And so I think it's um, important to know that it is a two man job every scene if there are two people in it. Yes. I have been on films where the lead wasn't trained, wasn't skilled, didn't understand that it's we're pulling it out of each other on the on that screen and she refused to be in the room when the close-ups were on me. And I was young at the time. I was very very young at the time this happened, but I happened to have been working in a movie with a lot of really skilled super accomplished character actors. And one of them had even won like the Academy, the Canadian Academy Award, which I don't know what that one's called, but um, but anyway, he was that caliber and he was watching it go down and I was sitting there going, so I just gave her everything I had for all her close-ups and now we turn it around and I got to uh, work with a stick on a point on a stick. And he pulled me aside because he, he was watching and he pulled me aside and he was like, let me tell you what to do. I'll stand there if you want to, but here's what you need to do. And, and he, he just gave me a few, you know, just to not let it throw me because I was young and I, I'd never had that happen before. And then he stood opposite the camera and worked with me. And then he said to me, bring it, bring it every single time. Give her, give me everything you would have given her. And, and, and 
she's going to one day wish she had been on the other side of this camera. And sure enough, what I watched what happened when the film went out is that the character actors pulled their game and they did, and she didn't, you know, and uh, I learned a lot from that one too. So I think it's really, really important to work with and collaborate with your people. And anytime, um, like I just worked on Dark Hearts with, with um, Brian Gleason from the Actors Studio. He was such a joy to work with and um, so easy to connect with. And we built chemistry. We, we went to lunch. We talked about life. We talked about the challenges we've been through. We built a rapport. I had known him for years at the studio. He, he wasn't around all the years, but he, I'd known him in the past. And we really, really built that chemistry to where even Barbara Bain called me up and said, I really felt the history you two had on that screen. And so we built it to the point where, and at the studio, I learned how to do that. And to the point where a lot of actors I was working with felt like we were falling in love or something. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're just, we're just rehearsing here. This is, uh, this is the work we do. Um, but you should be able to make people fall in love with you or, or build whatever it needs to fulfill the work, you know, the story. And I do believe that it takes craft and, and some discipline so you don't cross the line and ruin it. Um, it is a craft to build rapport with another actor and it requires two willing and open actors who aren't in their ego or in their insecurity going, I'm not connecting with you like that or, or don't, you know, worrying about any of that other stuff. It just like when, when Brian Gleason and I worked, there was just no ego about it. Either one of us could suggest or offer to the other one and we would take it in. It was so easy. And we, because we both knew we were working towards what was best for the story. So you've worked with obviously a, a ton of idols and, and you know people that you looked up to. Are there any actors, uh, actresses, writers, or directors now that you respect their work and look forward to possibly working with in the future? Yeah, actually, there are a ton of them that I would love to, to work with. Um, obviously, I I would really love to. There are some actors whose performances have really moved me and I'd love to be able to work with them again. Like I remember being haunted after I saw the movie Murder in the First, haunted by Kevin Bacon's performance. And I've always wanted to work with him. Action, reaction, right? <laughs> he is one that I, re I really want to work with. I want to work with Russell Crowe again in a much bigger capacity. I really want to. I want to work with Brad Pitt. I, I love that guy. I want to work with him. Uh, directors, I wish I could be directed. There's a lot of people I want to work with. Obviously, I haven't really gotten to work in the studio arena, so there's a lot of huge directors I'd love to work with, but you know, some that come to mind are um, Jodie Foster. I'd love to be directed by her. And uh, Catherine Bailo, I'd love to be directed by her in some of her big action movies, but women directed. And um, Greta Gerwig, I've been watching her stuff and I really would love to be directed by her. These very sensitive artists and creators who, who understand performance and the level of emotion you can bring to them. Um, there are just so many people. It would be hard for me to to 
to go off on on Anthem, but like I worked with, um, I didn't work with, I worked on the same show with Regina King. So I've come to watch a lot of the stuff she's been doing because we were both in Watchmen and now she's directing. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, I want to be, <laughs> I want to be directed by Regina King. I, I want to be directed by Ava DuVernay. I want to be directed by Jane Campion. I, there's so many that I want to work with. Just so Apparently many. Regina, Regina King has been directing for years with not really a lot of fanfare, which shocks me because she's such a, a an actress that kind of rises to the top in anything she does. You know, she's usually the one that gets nominated, even in, you know, sub award worthy films and, and TV shows. But uh, meaning not that they're bad. It's just they're not award worthy. She just rises to that level when she when she touches projects. And so as a director, I don't know if you've seen One Night in Miami, but you could see the skills that she has, has acquired over years as an actress and a director to direct a film that primarily takes place in a single hotel room and not make you feel like it could just be done as a play and you're just filming a play. There are certain films that were play adaptations this past year and in years past that it's just you might as well just put a fourth wall on stage and just film the actors and they get their coverage. Like Fences. Did you see Fences yeah, with Denzel thought, Washington? Yes, yes. That's when I felt like I was watching actors studio caliber work. Fences. Yeah. I would love to be directed by him. I, I would love to work with her. I mean, yep. just the. As he's on my dream list of directing or acting like. Yes. And I'd love to work opposite Viola Davis. That would be a, an experience explosive situation like explosive exciting if i'd love yeah. to work with someone like her yeah and um gosh there's so many i would want to play with I while we're on this like love of all these people that we respect what is what is it about acting that you love and keeps you coming back for more even through the struggles and the rejection and all the things we go through to get to those victories and those experiences that we were talking about you know, those life altering and career altering experiences. There's a lot of shit to go through. What about the craft and acting do you love and, and keeps you coming back for more? It's a place to put to use all of my extreme life experience. And when I dive into a role, I know I'm being given an opportunity to help an audience understand another person and their journey. And it makes me emotional to even say it, but that is the gift of our craft is that we get to help people understand each other, which I think is the thing missing the most in the world and missing the very, very most from the community that you know I advocate for that you're also a part of. Um, a community of people that so few people understand or bother to understand because they're so afraid of them. And I feel like in our work, we can help people empathize. We can help them feel the pain and the challenges these characters go through. We can also share with them the courage that it takes to get through these things. So it brings me back. And I write, I write, a lot and I actually have a little piece going up next Monday in Bobby Moresco's class that is one that is the closest to my heart. 
and even when I'm writing, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, how do I get them to know these people, to understand these people, to care about these people? And as an actor, I try to help people understand all the levels of what someone's going through. And that's what brings me back. And I feel like I didn't have all this extreme life experience for nothing. You know how they have this saying that if you spend 10,000 hours doing something, you'll succeed at it. Well, I started thinking about that and adding up 29 years and easily 10 hours a day, sometimes it's 20 hours a day, working on my acting, my writing, my producing, my casting, my creating, my rehearsals. When I look back and add up my hours, it's probably closer to 120,000 hours I've put into this career. It's a lot of work. I've given up everything for it, literally everything. And, and it has given me a place to put all the challenges of my life while going through this career. I've also beat cancer, lost both my parents, watched my family fall apart, had a marriage fall apart, lost the ability to have children, had my leg rebuilt many, many times, walked for 20 years with my bones hitting. I'm just hitting the surface. What kept me going through all of that life was being able to put it into my work, put it on that stage. You know, there's a song that I always listen to that my little brother sent me years ago. That's this song from these guys in Ireland and it goes something like this. Take that rage, put it on the page, take the page to the stage and blow the roof off the place. And life, when it hits you hard, gives you a lot of pain and rage, you got to put it somewhere. I think I'm probably still alive because I have a lot to say. I have a lot I want to accomplish. I have a voice that I feel is important for an entire community of people who've been left out through not just decades, but centuries. <laughs> and um, the work gives us a voice. Yeah. You talked about people being scared of this community that we're a part of, that we support, that we try to advocate for. And, and you specifically advocate through your work and representation. Um, and I, I tend to feel like they're not scared of the community. I feel like they're scared of what the community will bring out of them in a sense that not knowing how to engage and deal with, and that's primarily because of the lack of exposure to this community. And so when you talk about 10,000 hours uh, to be a master of your craft, I really do feel like 10,000 hours of, you know, whether it's TV, film, media, exposure, people need to be exposed that much to the different facets of the community because it's a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, diverse community that has been grouped together, but is so diverse, but people don't know that because they haven't seen it. And they are scared of how they feel 
when they see someone in a wheelchair or someone with a disformity or a limb difference. And so I really do think you, you are doing amazing work towards that acceptance, that greater acceptance in, in the world and in media and that we'll get to a point where people will be acknowledged for their perceived differences, you know, to be blind to these things. It's a, it's a matter of appreciating the differences and respecting that each person has a point of view and a perspective that's worthy of screen time, stage time, uh, time in this storytelling craft that we were part of. Right. There's a, a huge desire in my guts and my heart to get people to understand that all of these people are simply people. Our common thread, the reason we're even a community is because we have a common thread. And the common thread is that we have challenges, health challenges or visible perceptible challenges that have that have caused other people to not treat us fairly or give us equal opportunity. That's the common thread. But the reality is every human being is going to have a health challenge in their lifetime. As a matter of fact, if anything, COVID coronavirus shutdown has taught the world, it has taught the world what it feels like to be a person with a disability. You're mostly stuck at home. No one will let you work. You can't go anywhere. People don't want you out around them. Uh, you're in poverty. No one will give you a job. You're not allowed to work. You can't get in places. You're afraid you might die. You're afraid you might not get the medical care you need. And, and I say, welcome to the world of disability. Yeah. Because yeah. this is what people with disabilities deal with every single year of their lives, all their lives. So if you don't like it in the year of COVID, then perhaps we should look at the fact we shouldn't create a society where that's done to a whole lot of people all the time just because we're afraid of what they're going through yeah. you know so yeah. I feel like it needs to be um, put out there and talked about and shared and stories shared so that we realize that these are just everyday challenges you know that people deal with you you deal with diabetes and so every day you, that's your challenge to deal with it's not that dissimilar to me having to put a brace on my ankle when I go out to do this right, or right. put on a different shoe because now it hurts or it's giving out this day. So I got to work around that and you have to navigate your. Yeah, but the your, difference is people see your limp. People don't yeah. see what is going on inside my body. Right. MS or. But it's something you have to deal with. And I, I want the world to be exactly like that, where it's like, look, this is not your problem to deal with. It's my problem to deal with. Just don't count me out because of it. Let's, I'll deal with this. You deal with your stuff and yeah. we all work together. It's fine. And, and get to a place of appreciating all the human beings. But here's the thing about the acting that I think is really important. Um, I work a lot with kids with disabilities. I was a kid with a disability. I know what it takes to survive. I know what it takes to go through surgery after surgery when it hurts. I understand the terror these children are dealing with when they're going through chemotherapies and surgeries and things that suck. Now, what does it take to survive those things? It takes a big spirit. It is also the big spirit that they acquire to survive that frightens a lot of people because they're fighting for their right to live and they're fighting for their right to, to live in life the way everyone else does. They want to play at school like everybody else. 
you keep them out, yes, they're going to get madder than every other kid because they're fighting to stay alive. So I also feel like as actors, we have the opportunity to show the depth of passion that comes with these challenges because you know we can throw a temper tantrum on the stage or screen and get away yeah. with it. In real life, people can't get away with it. Yeah. But in, in the theater, we can. And on screen, we can. And people will listen. And then if we've given them the preliminary parts of the story where the actor is not, or the character is not in that critical moment, and then get to the critical moment, maybe they'll start to understand why people who fought for their lives have such fierce spirits and then fear them less. Yeah. It, we could be giving a gift to all of humanity every single time we get on that stage or on that screen and help an audience understand what drives a character to get to where they go. Yeah. So that's why I do it. It's why I stay in the game. I feel like we're on this earth for a reason and yeah. we all have our purpose and I found mine and I found where my life experience can be used to open up a whole lot of minds. Now, I've never been asked this question, so I'm gonna give it to you because I know you'll answer it. <laughs> but uh, what's your least favorite aspect of our business? Like what, if there was one thing you could change about it, what would it be and, and what is that thing and what would you do differently to change it? If I could change one thing about our industry, it would be that every single person who ever goes up for a job, any job in our industry, is measured only by their skill that they're bringing to the game and that is it. That it, the best human being wins every time. No more bullshit. If I could change our industry, it would be to remove all the politics and get down to what is the best possible way to tell this story and who is the best person to do it. And forget about all the rest. I, I hate the politics of our business. I hate the hierarchy of our business. You know, in the younger years, it was even worse, way, way worse, where people actually thought they were better than you. If they, as a, as a human being, they felt like they were some hierarchy because they were the working actor and you were the not working actor. Well, I don't agree with that. Yeah. I, I know that if you're a trained, skilled, hardworking actor, you deserve where you got. And that's that. And a lot of people are just as skilled, but didn't get the breaks, didn't get in the door. They, they had something that made people discriminate against them that had nothing to do with their skill or their craft. What I'd love to see is an even playing field where the best craftsmen get to play, that there's an open door for the people who are trained and ready. But on that level, the same, I've always said, when I'm creating the shows and when I'm casting them, I'm not gonna let any amateur step on my stage. I'm just not. You, this is a business and it's a craft and it's a skill and you have got to learn what you're doing before you jump into the pool because you're muddying the waters for all the trained actors out there. And just because you have the, the people or you're connected or you've got the money or the publicist or somebody in your pocket, doesn't mean you're good at what you do. So um, that would be what I would change the most about this industry. And I know that wouldn't be a popular point of view, 
But the reality is there should be some sort of standard of, of skill level or training or learning. And I know everybody will say, yeah, but there's lots of people who never trained and blah. Well, that's not exactly true because they got their training as a child working with one of the best directors or 10 of the best directors in the industry. There is a lot to be learned on a set when children come in and they've been brought up in the business with the best directors. You learn on every set you work on. So they didn't not have any <laughs> training. They had yes, even, even the best actors that everyone's like, oh, they dropped out of high school and then started working or being a stand-up comedian. Like, you know, Jim Carrey, for example, there's certain people that achieve that level through their talent and ambition. But at certain at a certain point, you got to think most of those people have worked with a coach or at least in a training environment or with a trained teacher to accomplish what they've done. Very Even few people. Scary. He was performing that. all his life. A lot yeah. of them do it on their own in many, many ways. Yes. Um, they're creating their own things. That's all learning and training and skill. Yeah. Um, what I hate is when people, especially the more my name goes out into the world, yeah. You wouldn't believe Austin how many people contact me on a weekly basis saying, I want to be an actor. Can you put me in your shows? Right. You know, that's like saying, oh, you know, I want to be a surgeon. Can I cut you open? Yeah. I want to do it. I got a knife. Yeah. Um, are we going to pick that surgeon? <laughs> this, this is a, you know, the, the craft only looks easy when really good people are doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of put your goals as an actor in a lot of your answers and it is to open minds. It is to give a voice. It is to show the truth to maybe people that haven't seen it or ignore it on a daily basis. Is there some aspect of your life goals and your work as an actor that you feel come through? So when you work as an actor, what do you feel is your personality trait that shines through the most through your Oh, work? definitely. I know that the personality trait that shines through the most is that I am an extremely passionate person and that comes through in everything I do. Um, I'm also a person who never gives up. And then I can often put that into my characters. You know, I'm a person who fights hard. Like I said, 120,000 hours. A lot of people give up after a few thousand hours in this business, but I've put my hours in day and night, seven days a week for many, 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 many years. So um, I never give up and, and I can put that into my characters and my passion and my fire. I've even literally, Austin, been going into surgery while I was still submitting on some projects and sending off my resume while I'm being prepped for surgery. I've literally come out of anesthesia at MD Anderson Cancer Center and groggy, wake up, look at my email. Oh, no, I have an audition. I'm in Houston. I'm, I'm half cracked on anesthesia, calling my friends going, you got some lights, uh, some lamps or something. Can you guys read for me? I need to put this audition on tape and send, and send it in. I have never been a person who just quits. You know, I don't give up. And if there's an opportunity, I take it, even if I'm at my worst, you know, I've trucked up uh, flights of stairs on crutches to show up at auditions and, um, and I will always do that. Even when I went down in my cancer battle, I wrote an entire screenplay while I was down and we sold it. You know, so I'm always writing. 
I have a lot of dreams. I have over 20 projects in my computer that are comedies, dramas, features, television shows. I'm always working on more of them. And I have a dream. <laughs> There's a few projects that are so close to my heart. One of them is the one I'm going to ask you to dig into next that I know will be world changers. And I have to get them done. And when I do, I want to raise the bar. Carmen is always saying, raise the bar, Eileen. Just keep raising the bar. I want to make sure that every actor in it is at the top of their game. I want to make sure that I get to hire all the people that did get missed. I can't wait until the day I get to walk into the actor's studio and be like, hey, Eric, you're working next week. What's your schedule? Here's your script. I don't even want to make them audition. I've been watching them work for 30 years on that stage. I've written roles for so many of the actors I adore over there. I can't wait to call them and say, you're hired and, and bring them on the set with great directors. I hope that we'll still get it done in time so Lou Antonio can direct a little, a little some of those episodes and Alan Levy and some of the directors there that I adore. I can't wait to do that. And projects that matter. Because when I write something, I believe it matters. So as we kind of come to the close of this awesome conversation, I, I just love hearing, you know, your experience, your stories, your, your take on the world and knowing what the final result of your work is in this stuff I've seen you in. I, I definitely haven't seen you in everything you've done, but people should go and watch um, because even my wife who met you once and we watched the new Amsterdam episode and standout is the best way to describe it. The, the idea that there is a difference between not anything against other actors, but there's something that you bring to your work and your roles that pops off the screen. Thank you. You know, I look forward to the many, many years of your career to come. And now that all these shifts in the industry are changing, thanks yeah. in part to you and people that you've worked with. Are there any quotes just on the kind of a closing note that you've used or have benefited you in a way and, and that maybe guided or lit the path towards where you are now? There are a few quotes that come back to me all the time. Uh, one from my mom, one from Martin Landau. They're quotes that have kept me going. And then there's a quote that I came up with that I use out in the industry now and then, and it ended up out there on IMDb and a few things. So first one that has kept me going through all the years of rejection, discrimination, downright cruelty at times, what I always remember is my mom saying to me as a little girl when I came home from school, very frustrated with the bullying and the meanness. And uh, my mom said to me, you know, what you have there is a great judge of character, other people's character. They're not showing you what's wrong with you. They're showing you what's wrong with them. And so throughout the years of whenever something was so hard to take that it would almost make a normal person walk away from the business. And I knew that wasn't a possibility for me. I would almost even smile and in my head, remember what my mom said. And then in my head say, thank you for showing me who you are. Next, knowing that's not my people. 
I need to find the people who get me, who appreciate me, who understand me, and that's who I need to work with. So that's number one. Number two, quote from Martin Landau, which I'm sure you've heard me say in interviews, because what he said to me one day kept me in the battle in a time when I was so close to giving up. And it is because I had had many, many surgeries, dealing with cancer, lost my health insurance, fighting so hard just to get in a door because I'm trying to make back my health insurance. I am up against it on all sides and still trying to keep going in this career. And then having people who don't get the craft, who don't understand the work we do, being weird to me because I put so much passion into my work and into my stuff and and they're afraid of my passion. And these are people who are disconnected emotionally. So they don't understand when someone is connected emotionally, right? And I had a particularly horrid loss, decided to put it into the play, the rabbit hole on the stage and throw my guts on that stage with it. And afterwards, Martin Landau said, I want to talk to you. And he took me by the hands and he led me to that front row of the actor's studio where his seat is, you know, and he sat me down next to him and he said, Eileen, I want you to know that because of your life experience and your ability to use it, you have the potential to be one of the greatest actresses of our time. And I just like now got super loaded with emotion. I said, oh my God, Martin, thank you so much. And he said, no, 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 no. I am not telling you this to make you feel good. I am telling you this so that you never give up. Do not let them stop you. That's what he said. Do not let them stop you. He was a very perceptive man. He knew everything that was going on. He heard the swirl around the studio that I was facing another thing, another loss. There were rumors that went around the studio that was even worse, worse than what I was actually facing in the moment. But he was concerned and he saw my spirit. I think he saw my spirit waning. And he took that opportunity to tell me what he thought of my work. And here he is an Academy Award winner, a very accomplished person that we all looked up to. And when someone like that tells you what you're capable of and to not quit, never give up specifically is what he said. I have held on to that through the last five years, I think it's been because I needed to, if that makes sense the many times when it gets so hard that you don't know how you're gonna take your next step. It's those moments when someone you really looked up to who, who knows the work, who knows what you're capable of, puts it in a way that you can never forget it. You know, So I'm always grateful to Martin. I, I think of him and Carmen as some of our angels. Carmen's another one who gave me enough to never quit quite a few times, you know, to keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. And we all need those people in our lives. 
And then my quote, my quote for the industry and for everybody out there in the world, and I think it's becoming more and more relevant as the years go by. I, I came up with this years ago, but here it is. If you want me to accept you for who you are and everything you are, then you have to accept me for who I am, exactly as I am. That sounds fair, doesn't it? Completely. As we go out into the world, judging and criticizing and tearing everybody apart, we have to stop and ask ourselves, if we accepted that person for who they are, exactly as they are, would they then maybe consider accepting me exactly as I am and vice versa? But if you're not gonna accept me as I am, exactly as I am, flaws, limp, scars and all, why should I have to accept you for who you are, whatever you are? It's a two-way street, kids. We all have to accept each other and all of our differences and all of our challenges and our differences in energy levels, spirit, fire, rage, passion, whatever it is, we have to accept each other. And that's fair. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think as actors, our acceptance is automatically, has to automatically be open and expanded enough to see the world from a lot of different angles. You know, I'm one end of the political spectrum and I could go in for someone on the other end of the political spectrum and I have to understand where they're coming from. Not yeah. living in a city, not growing up in a city. They're upbringing in a small town versus a big city. That's a simple ask of an actor, but I don't think we really demand that of people. Mm -hmm. And And I think what you're saying is, I think it's time to really demand that of people. I think the world will be a better place if people were kinder to each other. And, you know, just because one person has a limp and another person doesn't has no judge of their character. And you don't know that the struggles of the person without the limp. Yep. We don't know what anybody's challenges are. I've found that throughout life, I've found that I often have treated people I treat people with respect and acceptance and love first, yes. always. And then I end up treating them how they treat me, which is, I'm not proud of that. But like when somebody's a real jerk to me, I'm done. Yeah. I, I used to be much more open and try to get them to understand and try to get them to accept me. Yeah. There was even a time that I'm a little ashamed of in my, maybe it was teens or 20s where I was like, okay, you want to point out what's wrong with me and make fun of me in front of everybody? I'm going to point out what's wrong with you. You know, and, and I'm not proud of, but we're all learning, you know, we're all growing. And now I, I try not to, but I do turn off to people when they just won't accept me for who I am. There's nothing I can do to change them. And I'm like, well, then I don't have to accept you. That's, that's where I've gotten. And to me, that's maybe 10 years from now, I'll look back on how I feel now and look differently on it. But right now I'm just like, I'm open and accepting and loving to everyone until they've shown me that I can't be, that they're going to harm me or reject me or keep me out. But if you want me to really 
be open and love and appreciate and accept you, you've got to do the same for me. We've got to give people a safe place to be who they are and unfold and share what they have to share with the world. And when we all give each other that safe place to share, because you're right, we don't know what somebody grew up with. We don't know what's been drilled in their brain since they're little. We don't know what world they came from. And we don't know why they are the way they are but we're all different. And that's what makes life beautiful and colorful. And, you know, I used to always say, my mom used to bring me these huge boxes of crayons when I was a little girl in a wheelchair and I would draw these amazing worlds of everything I wanted in the world, everything I wanted to, to create and build and be in. And my boxes of crayons had so many colors. And you can't just take out like 20% of the colors and think it's all gonna work. You can't, we need all the colors. Yeah. You know, and life is a very colorful experience and and highs and lows. And some people are one level and some people are another energy level and some people are skilled at this and zero skills here. But this person has these skills and it's when you bring communities and groups together to make a film, to make a project, to build a building, to change a world, that it's all of our experiences and voices together that make it work for the bigger uh, segment of the population, you know? So if you wanna make a big impact, you've gotta have a lot of voices weighing in so you can reach more people, a lot of experience weighing in. And I can't possibly, Austin, I can't possibly bring to a table what you can bring to a table because You've had, I don't know how many years you've been on the planet, but however many years, I know it's more than 20. Um, I can't possibly- More than double that. <laughs> I, I, have, I cannot possibly have lived in your brain for all those years. So all I can do is step back and step onto a stage or a screen with you like we just did and go, oh, I can't wait to see what Austin's gonna bring to the table. And I can't wait to see what he does with what I bring him. Yeah, and I think uh, just to finish here, that that's what I love about the craft of acting. That's what I, I love about your work, loved about working with you, that you made me better in those moments because you were, even on my coverage, bringing a level of commitment and passion and emotion to those scenes that allowed me to open up a deeper level of my own commitment and passion in those scenes. And so I want to thank you for that, but also thank you for this unbelievable conversation that, it, you know, is not only about acting, it's about life, it's about storytelling, art, using our voice for good. And um, I don't think many people that I'm going to talk to exemplify that better than you. So thank you. Oh, thank you, thank, Austin. Really, thank, thank you for uh, being one of my guests on Actorspeak. You're so welcome. You've been one of my favorite people to make a movie with. It's just been a joy, an absolute joy to work with you. It's so well, much fun to have people excited and jumping in and, and participating in the workload the way you do with enthusiasm and bringing everything you've got to the game. And I, I just respect the hell out of that. So thank you. Thanks again to Eileen Gruba for speaking with me, and thank you for listening.
And thanks to my lifelong friend Jason Liebman and up-and-coming musical prodigy Dylan Hazen for composing and producing the Actor Speak intro music and theme song. It pays to have talented people in your life, and I'm extremely grateful for this sweet tune. One last note, I want to give a special shout-out to Jenny Josephson for her guidance in conceiving and producing this podcast. Thanks for all your advice, patience, and support. Subscribe to Actor Speak on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, you'll be eligible to win some cool Actor Speak swag. Once again, thank you for listening. This was Actor Speak.